Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Market Bites. I'm Sam. And I'm Josh. And we're here to break down three of the hottest financial events that happened this week, so you can keep your finger on the pulse. Whether you're on your way to work, at the gym, or wherever and whenever you have the time to get updated. So, are you ready? Let's get into it. This podcast is for information and education purposes only and should not be taken as investment advice, a personal recommendation or an offer of or solicitation to buy or sell any financial instruments. This material has been prepared without taking into account any particular investment objectives or financial situation and has not been prepared in accordance with the legal and regulatory requirements to promote independent research. Past performance is not an indication of future results. Hello and welcome to the latest eToro quarterly house view. We are now six months through the year. As they say, time flies when you are having fun. And as an exciting quarter with many twists and turns draws to a conclusion, there can't be a better time than now to discuss it all and as well look forward to the following three months that we have. There also cannot be a better free people to digest it all for the investors out there. I am Sam North, a market analyst at eToro and co-host of the Digest and Invest podcast series. And I'm joined by Ben Laidler, eToro's global market strategist, Callie Cox, eToro's US investment analyst, and Josh Gilbert, eToro's market analyst from Australia. I trust you're all very well. We have insights from all three and a Q&A. So strap yourselves in, take off the handbrake, and let's get to it. Ben. We have titled this Time to be Boring, and we can come on to that in a bit uh, of time. But I'm sure uh, people out there will want to know how we got there. What stood out for you in quarter two specifically? Well, the handbrake was definitely off, right? I mean, the rally continued. S&P 500 is up 14% for the year. Half of that has come in the last quarter, and most of that just in the last month. So we're back in bull market territory, up 20% from the October low. This is very good. Just to put that in perspective, your long-term average annual return for the S&P 500 is 10%. So already well ahead of that. It's been led by big tech, the so-called Magnificent Seven, from NVIDIA to Tesla. The NASDAQ 100 is up over 35% just in the first half of this year. That's annualizing at the strongest returns outside of the 1999-2000 tech bubble. And AI, which has been a big driver within that, is seeing arguably the fastest uh, tech adoption story uh, in history. Uh, But this has been a real pain trade uh, for most people. Retail investors have been pretty bullish, all credit to them, but institutional investors Uh, have been some of the most cautious and bearish that we've seen in many years. And frankly, they've missed out on a lot of this rally. Um, But it hasn't just been about the US or just about tech. You know, Europe had a very strong first quarter. Uh, Japan has been the leader in the second quarter. Crypto has been by far the strongest asset uh, performer this year. Uh, Josh is going to go deeper into tech and crypto uh, later, so you won't have long to wait. Uh, and crucially, uh, this uh, has all, I think, been very fundamentally driven. You've had four big drivers. One, the much anticipated economic recession, 
just never came. And that wrong footed a lot of people as consumers just really stayed strong. Uh, secondly, headline inflation has been falling fast, uh, unless you live in the UK, of course, like me. Uh, and thirdly, uh, even though sort of underlying prices have been a bit stickier, uh, they have come down enough to give at least some sort of line of sight that we are coming close to the end of these dramatic interest rate hikes that we've seen over the last uh, year across the world. And then finally, um, we've avoided these sort of worst case, you know, black swans um, that you know came paddling along in the quarter. Uh, we had a U.S. bank scare. We had a U.S. debt ceiling showdown, uh, and none of those really um, destabilized markets. You know, Kelly's going to dive a bit more into uh, you know the U.S. later on, um, but just maybe if you can flip the side, just to put some sort of performance numbers and all this uh, on the left, you can see the numbers for quarter. Two, Japan, tech, Bitcoin, you know, all leading at the top in green. And at the other extreme, uh, this plunging of VIX volatility, the disappointment of China's reopening and commodities, which, you know, really flipped from being, you know, the best performing asset class in the world last year to being the worst performing uh, in the world um, this year. So, Sam, it's uh, it's been a, you know, it's been a pretty eventful quarter. It has. And I guess whenever you review the previous quarter and VIX is the worst performing and equity markets are up there at the top, you, you, you've you got to think investors are going to be pretty happy. I guess the questions are going to come. Can it continue? Will it last? What do we need to look out for? And and I guess this really sort of brings us on to those sort of potential quarter free drivers. What What's really sticking out for you at the moment? Yeah. So recapping quarter two has definitely been the easy bet, right? I mean, what happened? The much more difficult bit is, you know, that crystal ball for the future. Um, you know, you, you know, back on the on the previous slide, maybe if you want to go back, we can just see, you know, on the right side, the the calendar for the main events that we're looking at um, for, you know, this third quarter, which I hope will validate the rally, you know, we've already seen. Um, you know, firstly, we have this imminent second quarter, you know, earnings season. Then we move on to you know, what is hopefully the last Fed rate hike uh, at the end of July. Um, we you know, move into August where, you know, somewhat unbelievably, um, we have uh, the start of the U.S. presidential race. Uh, and then into September, which you know, traditionally uh, is the weakest month of the year. Um, if you just flip to the next slide, you know, what's our outlook? What is that crystal ball? Uh, we're still positive. Um, you know, we do see a sort of natural third quarter breather as markets digest the big gains we've seen in the first half uh, and frankly prepare for what I think is going to be a strong fourth quarter finish to the year. Um, I don't think there's too much to worry about in this breather. I think the fundamentals are still very much on your side. Uh, any weakness that we do see, I think, will be bought by the many who are, you know, still too cautious, arguably you know, on, uh, on on this market, you know, but, you know, we do see slower economic growth, uh, but we also see lower inflation. Uh, economies have been very resilient so far, uh, but we do think they're going to slow from here, just given the lagged impact of these very high interest rates uh, that we have right now. Uh, but the good news, I think, is that this slowdown will also come um, with lower inflation. 
and the slowdown will be mild. Um, we're not, I don't think, talking about a recession you know, at this point. But as I say, the positive side effect of that slowdown is going to be lower inflation. Uh, and that, I hope, will give central banks the comfort to stop hiking interest rates and to think about cutting them uh, in the future. And that's probably the one key event, I think, that will make this bull market you know, sustainable. Um, you know, stock markets are, of course, forward looking. And I think we'll be very, very sensitive to any central bank guidance uh, here. Um, you know, this view of modest growth pressure, you know, alongside inflation and interest rate relief uh, is particularly positive for so-called, you know, long duration assets. Those that are most sensitive uh, to inflation, less sensitive uh, to growth. So what am I talking about here? You know, it's basically things like tech, things like healthcare, these sectors that luckily dominate stock markets, uh, but also bonds, fixed income, you know, cryptocurrencies. Uh, and it argues on the flip side for more caution on those assets more exposed to growth. So cyclicals, industrials, small caps, commodities. And of course, there are always risks. You know, the, the big two that we're looking at, you know, firstly, the known ones, seasonality. You know, returns over the summer, typically a lot lower than they are in the rest of the year. Although crucially, they are usually positive on average. Uh, volatility. We talked about the VIX you know, earlier, I think volatility is too low, given, you know, the still significant risks that are out there. Uh, and on the fundamentals, you know, I'm sitting here in the UK, the UK is this cautionary tale, I think, for the rest of the world, of what happens if you don't get inflation under control. Interest rates need to keep rising, and recession risks rise, you know, along with that. Um, but what often moves markets, you know, up or down, is a sort of second group of risks, you know, the unexpected uh, surprises. So, you know, keep an eye on Japan, uh, that at some point is going to have to tighten its uber loose monetary uh, policy, and this will have global impacts. Uh, and also on Ukraine, um, which, as we know, is a big, big, you know, commodities driver. Finally, just to maybe flip the slide, um, I wanted to show you the results of our recent online poll. Uh, of retail investors uh, compared to three months ago. Uh, basically, they're pretty bullish on markets and on tech. So if you start on the top left on asset classes, you know, the pink line is the latest results. The, the green line is, is compares to March. Retail investors are still pretty bullish on stocks and maybe fading the big crypto rally we've seen you know, so far this year. On the right-hand side on stock markets, the US is by far the most favored stock market globally, uh, but also investors, interestingly, having maybe a contrarian look at emerging markets as their second choice, which um, has basically not performed well this year so far. On the bottom left, you can see the sectors really sticking with tech, sticking with the winners this year and beginning to capitulate on some of those sort of deep value cyclical sectors, um, many of which did very well last year, like energy but also things like financials. And then finally, on that bottom right, you can see the thematics, the key themes. Again, you see the bullishness on tech and the more cautious view on crypto. Uh, so that's it. In sum, uh, we're still pretty positive on the coming quarter, but I think we naturally expect more modest returns and a bit more volatility than we've uh, got used to recently. Sam? Okay, thank, 
Yeah, thank you, Ben. I mean, it's always interesting seeing the, the survey uh, results. And as you can see, as you mentioned there, the top right, the US, the most favoured. And one of my favourite sayings in, in markets is when the US sneezes, the world catches a cold. And I guess that just goes to show the importance of the US. And, and Callie, moving on to you now, how are you seeing it at the moment? A lot of people at the moment talking bull market. Are we in one? Are we not? How do you see it? the latest quarter, the quarter coming, are you positive, negative, somewhere in between? Well, first of all, thanks for that great overview, Ben. I mean, Ben laid out all the points for the U.S. And I'm, uh, you know, merely here to sum it up and <laughs> try to address this question that everybody's asking. Is this a bull market or is it just bull? Are we going to take out those October lows uh, in the next year or so, or maybe even further out than that. Uh, but looking over this next quarter, I mean, we're seeing a lot of mixed signals from economic data in the U.S. Uh, versus earnings estimates. And when I say mixed signals, I mean, consumers are still spending money and consumer spending is 70% of the U.S. economy. The job market is still quite strong, even though there are some cracks forming, which is to be expected considering the Fed has hiked interest rates so much uh, since early last year. But at the same time, we may be hitting the worst point for companies right now, which means that there could be bluer skies ahead for profits. Um, we are seeing a bit of a change within the U.S., uh, a bit of a rotation from you know, more economically sensitive sectors to more rate sensitive sectors. And we're seeing that in activity as well. Uh, a great example of that is the housing market is seeing a few signs of life here and there. It's still mostly frozen. So it's really hard to read the macro landscape at the moment. Um, it's This isn't the type of environment where you can look at the data and say, ah, I see a clear trend. And I'll get into that in, into I'll get into that in a minute. Uh, but the toughest part of all, I mean, we're seeing a lot of momentum in the stock market right now. And if this is a, the first year of a bull market, if we are eight months to this bull market, you have to remember that a bull market can be tough to fight. The ideal situation for all of us would be to step back and consider what's happening and, you know, make our minds up over time. But markets just don't work that way. Uh, you know, markets can leave you behind. And if you sit a rally out, uh, it can be very, very expensive. I mean, I have a stat up here on this slide. The S&P 500 has risen an average of 43% in the first year of every bull market since 1950. That's not a small move. And the reason for that is because we see the psychological change in investors, uh, this, this almost brightening of the skies where they're willing to take on more risk than possible, even though conditions don't feel great. So I say all that to say it may not feel like a bull market, but we may be in one and it, you may not be able to afford to miss the first year. So the title of this webinar is Time to be Boring, and that doesn't make a lot of sense with what I just said. <laughs> I want to be clear. The Fed has the economy in a vice right now. Interest rates are still high. You know, uh, Fed Chair Jay Powell, whenever he gets up to speak to investors, he notes that rate cuts are not coming anytime soon, but the Fed is also data dependent. And we see that as a way of saying, you know, we might, the Fed might not be able to lower rates until we hit a recession. And if we hit a recession, we have bigger problems on our hands here. So right now, rates are still high. The Fed is the economy and advice. The awkward truth that we're all grappling with right now is that, you know, many bull markets start when the Fed is cutting rates, not necessarily when they're hiking. So this all feels a little bit wrong. But like I said, you can't step back and rationalize it. So how do you play that in your portfolio? Well, going back to the time to be boring title, I think you have to stick feet in both camps. 
uh, you have to hold on to risk uh, because we don't know if markets could move higher from here. That's certainly the momentum there right now. But you also have to think about companies that can survive a recession because there still is a significant chance that we fall into one this year or next. Nobody knows where the economy is going, but there is a lot of pressure on the economy. Um, and Sam, if you want to flip to the next slide. So this chart I pulled uh, as kind of a demonstration of what we see from stocks and bonds in different stages of the economic cycles in the U.S. When I talk about bonds here, I'm talking, well, stocks. Well, when I talk about stocks, I'm talking about the S&P 500 returns that we see in different parts of the cycle, and then treasuries of all maturities, that's U.S. debt. So we're talking more conservative bonds. And I want to show you that, you know, we might be in a mid to late expansion right now. Again, it's really hard to say, but growth is slowing and that's pretty typical when the cycle is aging out. And if you look to the two uh, bars in the middle of this graph, you'll see you know, how stocks and bonds perform in the mid and late parts of an expansion. And as you can see, as the cycle ages, you know, bonds end up catching up with stocks. People get worried, they see growth slowing and they run and hide. So, you know, as you think about your investment strategies, as you think about, you know, if you want to take on some risk, if you want to be boring, we encourage you to ask yourself, why not both? Because the future is especially uncertain. It always is. Uh, but with so many conflicting signals out there, it may make sense to, you know, spread, almost spread your probabilities a little bit across your portfolio. And I want to point out that, uh, the right side of this graph too. Bonds typically hold up well in recessions. Stocks don't. And a recession is still a possibility within the U.S. In terms of what I'm watching for to really gauge where the U.S. economy is, I think the best indicator here is the job market and more importantly, jobless claims, initial jobless claims, i.e. claims for unemployment benefits for the first time. They're a classic leading indicator of the job market. They are rising, which is a weakening signal for the job market, but they're not at levels that we consider concerning. So to sum it all together, Sam, I mean, if I had to answer the question, is it a bull market or just bull? I think it depends on if we hit a recession and it's still quite hard to tell, although we feel very optimistic about this economy and the economy has stayed resilient for over a year now. Thank you very much, Kelly. And, and for those that do want a little bit of exposure to bonds or fixed income, we do have a new uh, smart portfolio dedicated to bonds on the eToro platform, which I'm sure people can check out if they want. Uh, moving on now, and, and Josh, if we go back three months, we go back six months, you've, you've been pretty confident on tech and on crypto. So you're you're right if you are feeling a little bit smug right now in this hot seat, as, as eToro should be as well. Uh, but let's let's talk about quarter two and also the upcoming three months. How are you seeing it? How do you think investors might play it? What are you focusing on right now? Well, yeah, you're right, Sam. I had the uh, you know the beautiful task of talking about crypto in Q1, and now I have the very good task of talking about AI in in Q2. So um, yeah, I've I've landed on my feet there. But look, I think entering this year, there was there was plenty of skepticism. I think over tech. Um, you know, we've spoken about this sort of economic backdrop, you know, coming into the year, we had inflation still high, the Fed aggressively raising rates. But, you know, we we had a big driver 
in in the adoption of of AI technology um, sort of come and and sort of put that that, that sort of economic backdrop you know in the in the back um, of of the view really and I think AI has, has sort of captivated Wall Street. Um, I think if we look back, it was that sort of launch of Chat GPT. I think that sent the world into the sort of frenzy. We saw social media feeds flooded with with how this technology can can change our lives. Basically, um, it told us that we could be more productive in everything we do. But you know, it, it filled everything, and it and it did ultimately capture the attention of of everyone. But I think for me, AI is is probably the most transformational technology that we've seen on Wall Street for many many years. We could even throw out you know, since the internet, since smartphones, but it is driving the buzz um, that we have seen this year. And, and to sort of break that down, I think we've got a race on our hands now between, you know, big tech, um, who can integrate, who can develop, who can monetize AI, um, you know, the best. I mean, for now, it seems that NVIDIA has really stolen the, the limelight um, alongside Microsoft. Those are the, the two names here that, that are the clear winners. Um, I think NVIDIA obviously has has been that name that's front and center. It, it sort of really broke into the limelight more than ever with um with, with that Q1 earnings guidance for for Q2. You know, that probably the biggest that we've seen um since I can remember. I think having a conversation with Ben as well, since since he can remember as well. And I think that battle will continue over the next decade. You know, Google, Amazon, Palantir, Apple, Oracle, many, many more tech names in there. Smaller companies will emerge as well. But the bottom line here is this is going to be a trend that continues for years. I think we've got to touch a little bit on valuations. I think that's a focus from investors, you know, especially with NVIDIA. Um, if you're a value investor, you're, you're probably looking at these valuations and, and sort of laughing. You've got NVIDIA trading at 39 times price to sales. But I think the key here and the key with that is there's simply no margin for error. You know, it has to deliver. It has to deliver on those earnings. It has to deliver on that 50% uh, revenue guidance, um, you know, that, that, it, that it forecasted. But as I say, this technology has has a long runway ahead um, to move forward. Callie and, and Ben have touched on it a few times, but but it obviously has, you know, aided uh, the NASDAQ's gains so far this year. You know, a fantastic start up more than 35% for the NASDAQ 100 this year. But I think it's important to note that it isn't just AI. Um, you know, we've got the magnificent, magnificent seven now. Um, you know, Apple is is um, is absolutely flying this year up more than sort of forty percent year to date. I think getting close now to sort of three trillion dollars in in market cap. Um, and I think Ben alluded to it at the start, but the Nasdaq having one of its best um, sort of first half starts of the year in in history, as I say, more than thirty five percent. But you know what we're sort of seeing is that the these tech companies have done really well it's been the year of efficiency um that has aided profit margins because revenue growth is is slowing slightly compared to what we've had in the last few years um and they've got these balance sheets to match you know Callie mentioned it a moment ago about time to be boring um and these big tech names you know that they have the balance sheets to sort of get through this. They have the profit margins to get through any difficult periods of, of a slowdown that, that might be ahead. Um, and investors are searching for that defensive growth, uh, you know, in, in this environment. And, and I think that's where big tech sort of flourishes. Um, 
but a big part of this rally, of course, is is on you know is built on the expectations of rates reaching their peak, you know, and inflation falling rapidly. You know, U.S. inflation has now declined for for eleven straight months. Um, I think those deep recession expectations at the start of the year as well never materialized. Um, and you know, again, Cali touched on it there. Is it going to be a recession? Is it going to be a slowdown? You know, we think it's a slowdown. So that then takes us on to you know a point that that Ben was talking about earlier. Okay, is it time for a bit of a breather? You know, what's ahead for for tech from here? And I think that's the big question that everyone's wondering because we've had such a good start, one of the best in history, as I've said. Ben mentioned some of the fundamentals about sort of the second half. We probably will see tech slow down. Um, you know, if we get another thirty five percent, you know, in the second half of the year, I will eat my hat. But you know, we, we're going to see that. Um, it, it does slow down, but we don't think that that is the end of the rally because, you know, fundamentals are on your side. Q2 earnings are going to be a key focal point, of course, but it's going to be a big focus on the macro. You know, the Fed is getting closer to the end of this cycle. You know, we believe that rate cuts are, are not too far on the horizon. And I think that could really aid um, tech going into to the second half of the year. And I'd also like to just give a little bit of a shout out to China, not too far from me here, obviously in Australia. You know, we, we're really seeing there an underperformance this year. You know, valuations of, of Chinese tech is, is half of that, of what they are in the US. They're deeply discounted given, um, you know, they're, they're in this economic slump. But we're starting to see the Chinese government sort of step up. You know, they're they're rolling out support. We've had rate cuts um, on key lending rates. They've hinted at stimulus over the last couple of weeks, you know, and I believe that we're going to start to see, um, you know, growth pick up again in, in the region uh, in the second half of the year, you know, and that should be positive for the tech sector. And and then finally, you know, crypto, um, after a huge start in, in Q1, it felt for a second there, that crypto sort of fell out of the conversation. And I think on Ben's slide earlier, you know, it showed that, you know, what asset class retail investors felt would would perform best this year. And it was a big drop from their bullishness that we had in Q1, obviously in Q2. Um, and it and, and it plateaued really until we had uh, BlackRock come and come and save the day effectively with their application of a Bitcoin spot ETF uh, that sort of reignited investor attention. It really drove volumes uh, shorter term. Um, and that is over this uh, idea of, of obviously institutional demand that, that crypto has so longed for. And it's worth noting, Bitcoin is still the best performing asset class year to day and is out, outperforming altcoins. And it's outperforming altcoins because of this regulatory crackdown that we've seen this year as well. We've had a bit of life sucked out of crypto as well from that AI rally that I mentioned. Um, and crypto did struggle for a little bit of direction after such, you know, a huge Q1. But I also think a key driver from here is not only going to be that ETF, uh, which is going to be so, so important, but we're also seeing investors position themselves for a halving that takes place next year. Every Bitcoin halving in history has been followed by a crypto bull market, um, you know, and, and I think that's massively important as we go in to, to sort of the second half of the year. Um, and yeah, Sam, if you could just flick to, to sort of the next slide there, um, just a sort of a quick overview of, of basically what, what we sort of covered there in terms of AI stock performance you know, basically just sort of um, backing up what, what I said at the start there. This gives us a bit of a clearer picture of AI stocks sort of leading the charge so far this year. 
obviously, as I say, NVIDIA, a clear front runner, Palantir, obviously following behind uh, Salesforce, Amazon, other names in there, you know, that, that performance, um, you know, has obviously been the sort of standout there. And we can also see that crypto assets there, as we mentioned, they're very well owned by retail uh, investors. And that is why we believe that institutional investment is a key catalyst and why this BlackRock ETF is so important for crypto. Of course, we've still got to get it over the line. Um, you know, the odds are pretty good. Uh, 99% of applications accepted. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that that sort of uh, chart there is is a takeaway from our latest Retail Investor Beat survey. It's our quarterly survey of 10,000 retail investors across 13 countries. And it gives us a great understanding about what investors are doing um you know how they feel about sort of current markets what they own why they own it um we've just recently released an episode of our digest and invest podcast uh breaking it down myself sam and ben so so go and sort of check that out um but as i say really well owned by by retail investors is crypto it's a long duration asset um, that investors believe will thrive for years. Um, but as I say, that institutional investment is key, given that it is so well-owned by retail investors. Thanks, Josh. I mean, it it, uh, it feels really good to be sitting here and be positive uh, after the first six months of the year. But Ben, before we get into the Q&A, it's time to be boring and give us a summary uh, of our sort of house view at the moment, the 2023 investment outlook. Over to you. Well, I'm very tempted to become even more bullish on tech, just so I can see Josh eat his hat. <laughs> yes. um, but uh, but you know, we're, we're constructive, right? I mean, just take two steps back. You know, this is a transition year from you know the inflation and interest rate shocks and the bear market that we saw last year to what I hope is going to be you know a sustainable bull market of you know of 2024. You know, with central banks actually cutting interest rates rather than us just hoping that you know they might be about to. Um, you know, the caveats to all this, you know, are one that you know, markets are forward looking and we've already discounted, you know, some of this better outlook with the performance so far. And secondly, you know, the risks are still pretty high. You know, economy set to slow, some inflation stickiness and, you know, the returns so far have been have been fairly narrowly, you know, focused. You know, but, you know, I do think you know, the way to manage this is through diversification. You know, as Kelly said, you know, let's have a look again at bonds. You can get, you know, yields on bonds that you could only dream of uh, in the last uh, in the last decade or so. Or, you know, if you're worried about valuations in the US, basically every other market in the world is significantly cheaper. Uh, and there are plenty of defensive sectors out there from, you know, healthcare or you know, themes like high dividend yield. So I still think the bigger risk is being out of markets, not in them. And yes, you know, there's always risks out there, but I think there are plenty of ways to manage it. Um, and as I say, our focus is on those assets exposed to this inflation and interest rates, you know, relief that I think is coming. So, you know, tech now, but also, you know, maybe start putting traditional interest rate sensitives like real estate, you know, on the, um, you know, on the, on the watch list, you know, for the future. And, you know, on the more cautious side, you know, those assets exposed to the growth slowdown. Uh, they've already underperformed. They're already pretty cheap. So again, it's not a it's not a terrible scenario. But um, I don't really see the case today to be you know overweight industrials, overweight commodities, overweight small caps um, that luckily are pretty underrepresented uh, in stock markets. Thank you, Ben. Uh, and now for my favourite time of these webinars, time to put you all on the spot. Uh, Kelly, I'm going to come to you first. I want to know. 
how retail investors uh, responded in, in quarter two. And then a follow up. How do you see market breadth at the moment? A lot of people start to talk about this. How do you see that too? Yeah. So first of all, I agree with Ben. I want to see tech do really well in the second half so I can see Joshy to have. Yes. <laughs> uh, but seriously, when we talk about retail investors, how they've held up through all this all this volatility that we've seen, uh, they've actually stuck in it. Um, and we conduct this quarterly survey. It's called the Retail Investor Beat Survey. Uh, we talk to global investors about what they're investing in, what they're worried about, you know, what uh, what they're you know tactically doing with their portfolios to weather some short term swings. And so far, it looks like they are you know looking at other asset classes outside of uh, stocks and crypto, which remain a favorite. Uh, but at the same time, they're being a little tactical because they know things are changing underneath the surface. I think that's a good uh, good sign for the resiliency of the American consumer, because uh, typically you invest money when you have money and you're making money. Uh, but more importantly, uh, you know, one thing I noticed in our latest survey was that um, you know confidence is really starting to come back, at least among U.S. investors uh, and younger U.S. investors. Uh, and even it, even though you know confidence among older investors is a little shakier when it comes to their job security, when it comes to their investments, when it comes to the housing market and the economy, um, at least on the jobs and investment side, people feel pretty good about their own situations, uh, which again speaks to the, the resilient. Uh, the, again, speaks to the resiliency of the American consumer. Um, and like I said earlier, if U.S. consumers are spending, it's really hard for the economy to fall into a recession. Why? Because consumer spending is 70% of the economy. Now, Sam, you, you did mention bad breath. Um, I do think the breath is getting better. And when I say breath, I mean the number of stocks that are actually participating in this rally upwards. Because uh, for a while there, breath didn't look great. Uh, it was very tech-dominated. Uh, and of course, tech has a lot of flavors. Big tech doesn't look like the more speculative you know, possibly AI driven, uh, AI hype driven tech uh, optimism. But at the same time, you know, over this past month or so, we have seen more cyclical, economically sensitive stocks participate in the rally. I think that's a good sign, even though we are a little nervous about cyclicals moving forward because the economic trend is pretty clear. But the fact that investors feel comfortable enough to move beyond the big tech, move beyond that defensive growth, I think shows that we're getting some you know positive signs or unexpectedly positive signs from the economy. Will it continue? I'm not sure, but will it build a foundation for this rally? It looks like it is. If there's one thing people in the market hate, it's bad breath and bad breath, I have to say. Um, following on from what you were talking about earlier about the bull market and how it might depend on whether we go into a recession or not, what are you focusing on um, recession-wise? What signals are you watching in the market? Yeah, so I mentioned earlier, looking at a lot of job market data, um, initial jobless claims are those claims uh, for first-time unemployment benefits are key in my view. Uh, I also am watching earnings, and earnings are sending us more positive signals. 
this this season of Q2 earnings uh, could be the worst if Wall Street estimates are any guide. And I think the market is already starting to price that in. That's why we're seeing valuations move higher, even though earnings haven't quite rebounded yet. That's actually quite typical. Um, some see it as a bearish sign, but at the beginning of bull markets, valuations typically lead profits higher. So I'm watching the job market. I'm watching earnings. I'm listening closely to what companies are saying during their earnings season, how they're guiding investors about what will come in the year ahead, You know how they're specifically talking about layoffs and cost management as well. I mean, let's be honest here. The U.S. at least has been stuck in an inflation crisis for the past year and a half. And now inflation is coming back down to normal. There's still more work to do. But I think that there are some benefits that we're overlooking when it comes to you know cost management within U.S. companies, uh, especially with raw material prices falling so low. So I want to hear more about how companies are managing that, what they expect from the year ahead. And most importantly, I'm looking at hiring data and I'm looking you know, at how uh, unemployment reacts because the job market is the foundation of the economy. Yeah, I, I was at an event last week and we're going to talk about Bitcoin now, Josh. Uh, and Yoni uh, did an agreement with Noriel Rubini uh, who will wear a Bitcoin shirt when or if it goes to $1 million. Now, I'm not going to ask you when that's going to happen or if that's going to happen, but one thing that could help the upward trajectory of Bitcoin, of course, is the ETF, which you mentioned about. Why is it so important, not just for Bitcoin, but for crypto in general? Well, if Yoni said it's going to a $1 million, I'm not going to disagree. <laughs> um, but ultimately, it is so important because I think, first of all, this is a this is a big tip of the hat from from Wall Street to, to sort of crypto in, in my view. We're talking about BlackRock here. They're the biggest asset manager on the street. Nine trillion dollars, you know, assets under management. You know, this is opening the door for institution investment that that Bitcoin and crypto is is so longed for. You know, we spoke at it a little bit there that retail investors uh, own this asset very broadly. But the adoption from institutions is that key to, to sort of new highs. And it's important as well, because this is a bridge and a link between traditional finance and crypto. You know, it simplifies crypto for, for traditional investors. You know, it has that regulatory backpoint that we haven't had. And I think why institutions have stayed away from this asset so far or, or haven't necessarily got involved in a, in a bigger way. Um, but as I say, when we're talking about a name like BlackRock specifically, um, you know, that's huge. They're clearly having the demand there from clients. And that is really the, the key. They're getting this demand that's driving them to apply for this ETF. As I say, we, we've got to get it across the line. But as I say, it's the it's that link between traditional finance and crypto that, that we just haven't had in the past. And that um disconnection i think is is what we are really missing and if we can get that connection um that really opens the door to trillions of dollars uh or you know trillions of dollars for this asset class um you know we will see volume significantly rise from there fantastic ben i i think everyone should give you a bit of a round of applause for basically calling the market bottom back in october november time uh you've definitely over the course of the last few years being glass half full um, and that's proven to be the right way to go about it. But now I'm going to ask you to be a little bit more negative. What would make you change your positive view? What would you need to see that would make you say, you know what? The direction is going to be lower here. 
Oh, so now I'm jinxed totally. Um, <laughs> so, so I keep saying, you know, it's inflation, inflation, inflation. It's still the most important number in markets. It drives everything: interest rates, recession risk. You know, ultimately, you know, earnings growth. Uh, if inflation stalls here, or, or God forbid, actually reverses, you know, either because commodities spike or jobs and housing markets, you know, don't loosen up a bit, uh, then frankly, you end up like the UK. You know, 8% inflation, interest rates on their way to 6%, you know, recession coming. Um, you know, so it's the future foretold, right? Or that worst case, you know, foretold, if you like. The only small silver lining to all this is, you know, if the UK is that sort of sum of all fears or the future foretold, then, you know, its asset markets haven't done that badly, right? The FTSE's flat, the pound's been pretty strong. Um, and I think that reflects, you know, ultimately, even that worst case is returns delayed rather than returns gone forever. Right. As you know, higher rates and, and a recession will lower inflation, uh, will trigger, um, which will ultimately trigger, you know, the next bull market. You know, you just may have to go lower before you rebound under that worst case scenario. Thank you very much. And and this really does bring us to, to the back end of the session. Remember, you can find out more on Digest and Invest. We've got podcasts, videos, guides, webinars, you name it. We've got it. We recently released uh, a conversation with leaders with CEO of Checkpoint, Gil Schwed, and also did a stock break on that, which Josh, I believe, believe released recently too. So do check that out. But Ben, Josh, Kelly, thank you very much. And I'll probably see you again in three months time. Thank you all. See you then, Sam. Thank you. You have been listening to Digest and Invest by eToro. For more information, use eToro.com.